This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right, this time yesterday, we were talking to you about the Anglican Church and how they had decided and voted against accepting uh, same-sex marriages. However, now, in a stunning reversal, the decision uh, has been turned around, they say due to a miscount in the voting of some sort. To talk more about all of this, Bill Mouse is with us, Reverend with the Anglican Diocese of Niagara, and is on the line with us now. Hello, Reverend Bill Morris. How are you? T- or Morse, or Mouse, I'm sorry. Let me try again. Reverend Bill Mouse. Good morning. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you, Scott. Thank you. Uh, so how do you explain this sudden reversal? Well, I think uh, it was um, uh, pretty stunning for most of us who were on the floor of the General Synod uh, yesterday. Uh, as you know, the, the day before, the uh, motion was declared to have been defeated because of one vote um, uh, difference in the order of clergy. Um, our uh, governance processes require um, a two-thirds majority in all orders, the order of uh, bishops, uh, clergy, and uh, laity, uh, and uh, that uh, threshold was not achieved. Um, but as it turns out, uh, uh, when the uh, results of the votes were, were published, uh, there was an error um, uh, discovered, and one of the uh, clerical members' uh, vote was not uh, recorded properly in the order of and so that shifted the vote so that, uh, in fact, uh, 52 uh, clergy were in favor and 26 uh, were opposed to the motion uh, before us, which met the threshold for the two-thirds majority. And so our primate, Archbishop uh, Fred Hiltz, in fact, uh, declared that the resolution to amend uh, the marriage canon uh, uh, passed. Do we know how this error happened? Uh, is anybody questioning the integrity of the vote or, or, or how this was missed or, or how the error, error happened? You know, uh, elections, as, uh, as one person observed yesterday, are governed by humans and uh, none of us are perfect. And I think that was the case here. Uh, each of us were voting by clicker technology and those uh, clickers uh, needed to be assigned uh, a particular uh, category and in the case of the uh, questionable vote, uh, that person served at the head table and was not assigned uh, to uh, the proper uh, uh, category correctly, and so um, that uh, came to light and uh, and we responded uh, as we did and uh, corrected the record and uh, and changed the declaration of the outcome of the vote. So, is it a change by one vote then? Uh, well, uh, so, uh, uh, notwithstanding the uh, the results yesterday, the majority of the Synod voted in favor of the resolution, and uh, that one vote made the difference uh, in, in that uh, one particular order, the order of clergy. And so, uh, while that vote was uh, essential to the outcome of the resolution, on the whole, um, the... Uh, the uh, General Synod members voted um, in favor of the uh, the resolution before us, and so it really wasn't a matter of 
one vote uh, in the grand scheme of things, but because of our governance processes, that one vote was uh, was crucial uh, to reach the, the two-thirds majority threshold that was required in, the, in that order. Because some that are that may question this may think, well, if it was a a win by one for the other side, and then that one vote was counted, wouldn't that theoretically make it a tie? Yeah, no, not the way uh, the the vote count. Uh, uh, works uh, because it's a two-thirds majority uh, threshold that's required, uh, not a, a simple majority of 50-50. And so the um, the uh, threshold before the vote um, was was still in the the 60% range. That one vote pushed it to the 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 supermajority, the 66.67% threshold, which was required. And this was due to human error? Am I correct in assuming that? Or will this be investigated any further? No, I think uh, that's certainly uh, our understanding, and the Synod has uh, prorogued. And so the declaration of the, the chair was that the, uh, the motion uh, has passed. Now, does this settle the issue, or does that uh, perhaps upset some people who wanted it the other way? I think most uh, people in the room were um, surprised by uh, the events of, of yesterday, and I think um, were, were humbled by the gravity of the, the situation uh, that was uh, before us. Uh, our government governance processes are at times uh, cumbersome, but they, they seek at the end of the day to ensure that we journey together as a faith community. And so even with this vote, um, there is a requirement that uh, the resolution is passed at uh, a subsequent synod, and that synod will take place in, in 2019. Anglicans tend to meet at the national level every three years. And so this is the first of uh, 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 two considerations of this uh, resolution. Either way, are you su- are you surprised that the vote was so close? I think uh, I went into the synod thinking that uh, the majority of uh, Anglicans uh, were uh, going to support this uh, resolution, or the majority of uh, the members of General Synod. I think. Um, Anglicans as a whole strive for justice and peace as part of part of our baptismal covenant, and so I I think the surprise was that it was as close as it was, and uh, in the order of of clergy, um, previous indications uh, uh, tended to focus on on um, other other orders, and and uh, certainly there was a conversation in the, the lead up to the synod regarding whether. It, uh, the motion would pass in the order of bishops. Was this a divisive issue at all? I think Anglicans have a great diversity on a variety of, of, of matters. I think uh, there are lots of people who are, are are still surprised by what happened. There are um, as many people who Excuse are, me to interrupt there, Reverend. Uh, yep. Surprised that of the reversal or surprised of the original vote? Uh, both, I think. Mm-hmm. I think there are as many people uh, who are, are hurting as there are people who are, are filled with joy uh, today. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to be attentive to this and, uh, and care for all people uh, um, uh, in the days, uh, days, uh, days ahead. But um, uh, how we move forward um, is 
uh, at the core of our faith, where people who come together um, uh, through a sacred meal, the Eucharist, and, and we gather together and we're grounded in those baptismal promises uh, we make, uh, the, the promises to strive for justice and peace, to uphold the dignity of every human being. And I think that will bring us together and uh, uh, affirm our, our sense that uh, in these days we need to be uh, gracious to one another, regardless of where uh, people stand on this particular uh, matter. What's the feedback been like over the last 24 hours? Uh, I can uh, say as a delegate, I think the feedback has been uh, overwhelmingly positive for Bishop Michael's um, uh, affirmation and support for uh, equal marriage in our diocese. I think uh, I've certainly received lots of uh, uh, affirmation and positive feedback from those uh, uh, people I, I've connected with uh, after the vote uh, who are, are supporting this, uh, this decision of the, of the Church and are hardened that uh, we're, we're, we're walking towards uh, a fuller sense of inclusion uh, so that all people will have access of, uh, to our sacraments regardless of of uh, sexual orientation. Uh, many were, were talking prior to, uh, as of yesterday, that this would could mean an exodus of people away from the Anglican Church. Uh, do you think this has alleviated that, or do you think because this is such a controversial item at this point that maybe this decision might, might result in the same, uh, the same loss? Again, I think we journey together, and we, as uh, an Anglican Church, uh, uh, strive to um, be a, a community that that uh, relishes uh, difference and diversity. And so, I don't think one vote will cause um, a, a person who may differ to 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 leave in 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 uh, in response. I I, I think. The days ahead, there's lots to um, um, uh, that remains to be seen. But uh, I'm deeply hopeful, and uh, my heart is uh, filled with this hope that uh, people will continue to break bread together, that we will continue to walk together, and that this is uh, part of a sacred journey to which we're we're called to continue to be in dialogue about. Any response from other churches or religious organizations on this? Do you think this movement will continue to spread? I think uh, the, the arc of the moral universe, as uh, uh, Dr. King once said, will mm. continue to bend towards uh, justice. Uh, I can't speak for uh, other religions and, and haven't uh, had any correspondence uh, myself from uh, members of other denom- denominations in particular, but I think... Uh, as our primate uh, reflected uh, in his opening address, the church, uh, in all of its conversations in in recent decades, really has uh, struggled towards greater inclusion, and that struggle will continue. And I envision a church that, uh, uh, both locally, nationally, and universally, is more and more inclusive in the days, months, and years ahead. Feedback more positive today than yesterday, Reverend? I think, uh, on the whole, uh, yes, but 
that being said, Bishop Michael was pretty clear uh, on behalf of the Anglican Diocese of Niagara that uh, even in the midst of the the vote uh, the previous day that he was committed to uh, equal marriage for all people. Uh, the Reverend Bill Mouse has been with us with the Anglican Diocese of Niagara. The Anglican Church has decided to reverse the decision on same-sex marriage that uh, it announced just yesterday. Reverend, thank you very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck moving forward. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Whole question of the day. Uh, what do you think of the tenors reworking O Canada at the uh, All-Star game uh, last night? Uh, 84% no, wrong, shouldn't be done. Of course, they have uh, kicked the person out of the band temporarily anyway. Uh, and that is our next story. In case you didn't know, uh, at last night's uh, Major League Baseball All-Star game, the tenors were singing the national anthem, the Canadian national anthem, and uh, one of the members sang, we are all brothers and sisters, all lives matter to the great. Instead of, with glowing hearts, we see thee rise, the true north strong and free. We'll play you a little bit of that now. We're all brothers and sisters, all lives matter to the great. I wonder how many Canadians even noticed. Because if you're standing at a sporting event, and whether it's you know at uh, whether it's at First Ontario Centre, whether it's uh, in Toronto at a Blue Jays game or a Leafs game, uh, you know people start off real strong. Then as they get into the song, it's and they're kind of looking around for a jumbotron or something that'll tell them what the next lyrics are. So, yeah, I don't think you should be dinking with the national anthem. But how many really even noticed? Until they, of course, looked at their social media. Oh, yeah! I thought there was... uh, I I didn't recognize something, but I thought maybe they had just changed it again. Uh, Let's bring in David Bright, professor for Niagara College's History of Rock and Roll class, and he is with us now. Good afternoon, David. How are you today? Good afternoon, Scott. I'm doing well, thanks. Thank you for taking the time to join us. So what were your thoughts on what happened last night? Um, well, like most people, I sort of missed the whole thing until it appeared in the news, you know, as a big story or biggish story. Uh, I think there's a number of things to sort of break down here. Number one is, I suppose, that the tenors were hired to do a job. You know, they were hired to sing the anthem. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure they got paid for it, I assume anyway. And I guess if you're paid to do a job, you do it and don't start improvising along the way. Um, I think, I think if, if there's a serious point, is that they were also guests in another country. And where, you know, the argument is that, that um, what, what's his name, uh, Remigio Pereira sang All Lives Matter, and that's in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. And there's a feeling that all lives matter is sort of a, a criticism or a reaction against uh, the radical Black Lives Matter movement, and and so I think it has more meaning when you use use that phrase "all lives matter" in America at the moment than maybe it does to Canadians. But um, I, I I just when I when I saw the clip on the uh, web later on, I, I just didn't know what was going through his mind. I mean, like, 
you, you played it just now. There's nothing else. It's just bad poetry. It doesn't scan well. <laughs> like, that, you know, that's a good point. Before. It doesn't even flow well, does it? No, no. You know, it's not going to replace the original line, I don't think. But um, it, it's like, you know, two minutes before he went on the field, he suddenly scribbled something down and said, yep, that's what I'm going to do. And now, do you think that, uh, be, well, do you think the, the, the reaction is different depending on which country you're in? Do you think Americans were more offended than Canadians? Um, I'm sure most Americans, I, I haven't seen the American feed today, but I'm sure most Americans didn't catch it. I'm sure it didn't have the same buzz on social media. Um, it, I suspect that they knew what he'd written down on that napkin or that he knew what he'd sung. Yeah, they, there would be more of a reaction. But I, I think it's different in Canada where I, it seems to be don't mess with the anthem is kind of their response. And so they're not really that bothered about what he sang or what he said. It's the fact he had the you know, temerity to actually change the lines. Which what, is, what is the bigger uh, faux pas here? The fact that they changed the lyrics or he changed the lyrics or the fact uh, of what he changed them to? Um, well, I think you know you can put your hand into either pot and pick which one you want to. I, I, again, the idea being is that if anybody is hired to sing an anthem, then presumably it's because the people who are staging the event think they're going to bring something to the performance. Um, uh, and, but, you know, what if he changed more than just one line? What if the whole verse had changed? I mean, mm. There's been occasions in the past when people have objected to uh, singers messing with the melody itself, whether it's the American anthem or the Canadian anthem. I know that people like Marvin Gaye were under the trouble and Nelly Furtado in the past when mm -hmm. they disguised the melody. Um, and if you know, if a song or an anthem consists of a tune or a melody on the one hand and lyrics or words on the other hand, then um, I think the artist is allowed a certain leeway you know, to, to change the melody a little bit. But if you go in and just change a whole bunch of words... And it, and the point being, I think, with an anthem is it's meant to express something about the spirit of the nation or the spirit of the people. Um, just throwing in some random words about we're all brothers and sisters and whatever. Um, wh why not do a pitch for some company as well while you're at it? I mean, <laughs> we'll go out there and wear a Nike shirt or something. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, you said you brought up a very, a very valid point when at the start of this conversation, and you basically said these guys are hired guns. They were there to hmm. uh, sing the specific song, and, and it's not like you're going to one of their shows. Although, I, you know, I'm not sure how this would have fit into one of their shows. Does that change it though? The fact that they were there specifically to sing that song, and it wasn't their show. They were guests in another country. They were guests. Uh, you know, of Major League Baseball, uh, does that change it? No, I, I think that's to the point. I mean, I, I don't know anything about uh, Mr. Pereira, but I have no idea what his views... I mean, I, I saw his own uh, response later on after they kicked him out. He said, I just wanted to make people feel good or, or something like that. I said, well, that's nice, but that wasn't what you were hired to do. You were hired to sing a song, um, and you, you basically didn't do what you were hired to do. I'm not sure you know, how the contracting works or how the agreement works out. But presumably, you know, if if we enter uh, an age when anybody hired to sing an anthem can make up a random verse here and there, then, uh, well, it'd be more fun maybe, but it, it's, <laughs> it's not what the audience... Um, 
It reminds me of it reminds me of an old episode of The Simpsons when you know the guy would drag it out forever. Absolutely. Uh, is this uh, is this about a self centered society? It's me. It's my time. I'm going to say what's on my mind. Or is this activism? Uh, well, I I don't know what his motivation was. So I can't say it's activism. Certainly, he he felt that what he had to say at that particular time in front of a live crowd of several tens of thousands knowing it was televised, knowing it was going to be caught on social media, he obviously wanted a response of some kind. And so he has to live with the response he got. Now, if he, if he wasn't smart enough or you know aware enough to realize that a number of people weren't going to appreciate what he did, then he should maybe reflect on why he did what he did. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. There is a sense that... Um, this sense—it's not entitlement exactly—but this sense of whatever we do as individuals is worthy of being watched by someone else. Whether it's having, you know, a lunch and here's a photograph of my. That's family. exactly. That's exactly what I'm pointing to, David. Yeah. I mean, it just I, seems I like more of that. It's my time in the spotlight, so I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. Well, um, I'm not going to argue that. It seemed to be that way. Um, and he was in the spotlight anyway, so I'm not quite sure what more he wanted. And maybe he really thought that he was doing sort of a John Lennon thing and that yeah. he was going to turn something around. But um, bad miscalculation, I'd say, on his part. Could this, you know, you brought up a John Lennon thing. Could this have worked? Could he have done this some way that might have been more positive? Or do you just not dink with an anthem? Um... If he was John Lennon, maybe, or someone of <laughs> John Lennon's... That's a good point. Who, ...who's asked to do that job. Uh, and, and maybe people would think that given the uh, political temper and temperature of the moment, that something would be expected. Fair enough. But, um, again, I'm not an expert on the Canadian tenors, or the tenors, rather. And so uh, I'm not sure how much of a household name Mr. Pereira is, or how much people know about his own views. And so we don't have sort of the context. We just have somebody suddenly on a sports field doing something sort of out of the expected. And so, and, and the other thing is, well, what if it was something else he decided to be interested in? You know, maybe he was interested in saving a particular animal, or maybe he's interested in, you know, pr- promoting, you know, the, the removal of Britain from the European Union. I guess he could have, you're right, he could have sang about Brexit or the whales or something. Or something like that, and that would be equally as valid, I suspect, but again, people would think, well, what's that got to do with the anthem? Um, I I mean, the the anthem itself, it's it's just a song with, you know, and the the lyrics are what they are, and you can interpret them as you wish to. Um, And I think the anthem is more symbolic than, you know, people have to sit down and say, oh, these are sacred lyrics or holy lyrics, and we must never change them. Of course they've changed. They've changed many times. Well, that's it. I mean, if you go to a sports stadium, a lot of the times the fans lose it on the second verse because they're not oh, sure where to go. Yeah. <laughs> because because it has been changed. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not up for one individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm sure most people are singing different versions of the song, of the anthem, you know, getting bits wrong here and there as they stand at the sports arena. But... Um, uh, certainly, I mean, I, I saw the clip of film, and certainly, I don't think the other three tenors had any idea what was coming along. Let me ask. The reaction. Let me let's touch on on that more. Uh, do mm. you think he had shared this with the other members of the band? Should he have done so? 
yes. I, th- I think if you're in a, a band or a unit or something like that... Um, Maybe the fact that he didn't share it, he knew it would be controversial. Again, I'd like to know at what point he thought he was going to do this. Um, how much prior thought, because the sign looked pretty quickly made. Uh, and again, the quality of the altered lyrics weren't that great. Um, did he think about this just prior to going onto the field, or was it, you know, a day beforehand? Um, and certainly it doesn't seem that he shared this idea with the uh, the others, and, and, I, and I suspect that they would not have condoned it had he done so. Uh, good PR for the group or bad? Will this help with bookings? Well, we're talking about them, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, all PR is good PR to a certain extent. Um, I guess if they're hired to do it again, people are going to be waiting to see what they change next time. Hmm. Um, short-term, bad. Long-term, probably not too harmful. Because, again, the other parts, you know, if we're right about sort of the uh, um, the entitlement or the focus on me, is, is that, you know, people three weeks from now won't really remember this or be bothered about it. There'll be something else coming along. On that um, note, do you think we're making too much of this, David? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> um, the anthem... Um, all, all national anthems have been badly done or misdone or, you know, people forget the melody or they transpose another country's melody onto the um, anthem they should be singing. This will just be added, I think, to you know, a list of mistakes or miscalculations. And um, it, it's interesting to see the reaction, I think, more than the actual um, event itself. So this will go down just like another uh, Roseanne Barr scenario? <laughs> Um, this is nowhere near as bad as that, so... Uh. <laughs> now, is this controversial because, because, you know, you talk about those other situations where people have botched the anthem or mm. intentionally screwed it up or tried to turn it into something it wasn't. Uh, is this different because it is such a political hot potato right now? Right now, yeah, I think it is. Um, like I say, if... if yeah, definitely. Uh, given that this occurred on the same day that... Uh, President Obama gave a lengthy, detailed, passion speech about the same subject. This is merely, you know, this is it, it, it's trivial and it's distracting and it doesn't add anything to the debate. Um, you know, we're all brothers and sisters, and I even forgotten right now what the second part of the line was. It had it been, you know, deep and philosophical or penetrating, maybe we could say, well, wait a minute, it was inappropriate, but at least he's giving us food for thought. But it's just like a some sort of, you know, uh, Christmas cracker kind of motto is what he came up with. So, What about if he had said something quickly prior to the anthem or after, as opposed to messing with it? Uh, uh, like, listen to what I'm going to sing now? I'm not sure. Um or, you Again, know, he could have been like a thing at the Grammys or whatever where, you know, underneath his suit he's got a shirt that says something and he, at the end he just peels it open and makes sure everybody sees it, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I, I said earlier, we just don't have any context for this. We don't know what was going through his mind. We don't know whether he was trying to do the right thing or whether he... he uh, I don't know what his rationale was. I read, a tweet, that's, I, I read a tweet that said that he, you know, again, he was so moved by everything that had happened in the United States, he felt he had to say something. Well, good for him. Um, 
<laughs> again, is this in front of the crowd? Yeah. Is this about is this about uh, doing the right thing and and trying to move uh, public sentiment on this, or is it about me? This is um, what I think, and uh, screw the rest of you. I'm going to use my platform and and send my message. I'm trying to think what he thought people would, how they would react yeah. in a way that was for the better. We're, we're really, as you say, people who are there to see a bunch of uh, ball players do the All Star Game. Were they really going to sit down afterwards and stroke their chins and say he's got a good point? Let's let's have a chat about this after the game. I mean, it was the wrong venue. It was the wrong medium. It was. Should we even have the national anthem at sporting events? Lots have debated that. Uh, well, we could have that debate for sure. I mean, it's, like you say, most people don't know the lyrics. Most of them, you know, they get up on the second half of the tune, maybe. I know why they're played, but whether or not it serves, it serves a purpose. Um, I mean, the other thing was, well... Some people say, well, can't you just stick to the tune and stick to the lyrics? In which case, we should just go back to some DJ popping on the, the record or whatever, mm. and playing it and having it done with. Mm. Um, I, think cause I think the organizers want the spectacle on the one hand. They like the idea of, you know, um, Neil Young or someone else coming in and singing it. But on the other hand, they say, well, don't do anything too strange or too left field. Just do it the way it should be done. And that's, that's always going to be the problem, is that if you want the anthem sung exactly as you think it should have been sung always, and only the lyrics, which you think are the correct lyrics, then from an artist's point of view, it, it, it kind of rankles, I think, because you, they're basically being told how to do their job. When you know many artists think, well, I could tweak the melody, or maybe, again, just change or update the lyrics here and there, and that's what they do. So it's... It's a fine line, I think. And if you, you know, it seems that we're the only ones that do this. For example, in the uh, Olympics, they just, as you said, play a recording of mm-hmm. the national anthem when they're raising the flag and they're awarding the medals. Maybe we should take the human element right out of it, uh, the performance element right out of it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I think it's an argument to be based for that, yeah. I mean, it's... Mind you, let me ask you this, David. If we didn't sing it at sporting events such as this, when the heck would we sing it? Uh, I think, well, if it's the national anthem, then it has to be something, an event of meaning to a great number of people of that nation, whether it belongs at a sporting event where you've got a subset of a subset of a subset of people. Um, and it, it, again, it, it, what I'm trying to say here is that the anthem wasn't designed or, or constructed or um, imagined to be appetizing sporting events 140 years after it was written. It was, it was there as a statement of you know the spirit or the ethos of the nation. Um, sports have kind of hijacked the national anthems in many ways, and it's not just Canada. No, it's the U.S. and other countries too have done this. Um, there is an argument if you really think that the anthem is important, then it shouldn't be trotted out at every single event where. Somebody may or may not have, you know, a, a Canadian jersey on or something like that. But it should be limited to more um, symbolic moments. But I'm not sure. I mean, do you think stadium officials now will be reading the riot act to every performer to make sure, hey, you stick to the lyrics? Uh, maybe for a week or so, but I think after <laughs> that, it'll, you know, <laughs> they'll move on. And 
Um, again, there's, there's not this particular kind of thing, but this thing has happened, you know, many, many times in the last two or three decades that um, they'll, they'll keep bringing on people. And, and, of course, the point is it's only the ones that go wrong that get remembered. So. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's right. Only the ones that do badly in some yeah. form. David Bright has been with us, professor for an agricologist history of rock and roll class, talking about last night's baseball all-star game where the tenors sang different lyrics for the Canadian national anthem. David, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks so much, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, a Toronto councillor wants to know why it's okay to play road hockey in places like Kingston, but not Toronto, uh, which, of course, is Canada's biggest city. Now, these laws exist in pretty much every major uh, city across the province. It's not just Toronto that has banned uh, road hockey and playing just, you know, basketball or anything in the streets. Uh, we have the same thing here. And, of course, remember all the big toboggan brouhaha about... You know, every winter, where can they toboggan? Where can we not toboggan? Uh, to talk more about all of this, Kristen Carmichael Greb is with us, Toronto Councillor for Ward 16, to talk on the issue and with us now. Hello, Kristen. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, we've seen this. Thank you for taking the time to join us, by the way. Uh, we have seen this argument come up several times. Why on the forefront now? Why is it? Why is it? What's drawn your attention this time? Um, well, it started out back in the fall. I had uh, several of my residents uh, were issued notices of violation for having hockey nets and basketball nets on the public right-of-way. And when I started to look into it, um, I, I found out more about the bylaw for encroachments on the right-of-way as well as about uh, not being able to play in the street, play basketball or play street hockey. So I requested a report uh, from, from our city staff on what the feasibility was to allow um, uh, basketball nets and hockey nets to be allowable encroachments, and it has morphed into, uh, as well, the, the allowing of uh, street hockey and basketball. So what did the report say? What did it tell you? What did it reveal? Uh, report said, let's just leave it as status quo. Let's not do anything. And uh, I would rather not do that. I, there are kids out playing street hockey, playing basketball now. So uh, I, I would rather put less red tape in the way of keeping kids active, keeping them outside and playing rather than inside uh, on their iPads or on their phones. Yeah, it kind of seems odd to me that we're spending so much time and energy and money trying to get adults out of their cars and onto bicycles, yet we're, uh, you know, shoving the kids off the street. They're not allowed on it. Absolutely. And in my area, there is a severe lack of green space, lack of open space where kids can play. And so oftentimes, the only place for them to play is on the street in front of their house. So it seems that most municipalities have something like this on the books, yet turn a blind, uh, turn a blind eye to it until it's actually a problem. Uh, is, that, is that the logical thing to do here? I mean, in one, in, in one case, your, your rear end's covered, but on the other hand, you're, you're kind of wishy-washy on, you know, whether it's allowed or it's not allowed. Some, it's, some of it's driven on a complaints basis. Should this be a lot more clear than what it is? Um, I think so. I mean, in Toronto, it, it is complaint-based. Um, but for me, it's why do we have a bylaw in the books that we, we rarely enforce? And it's really only there for liability reasons. I mean, for me, we really need to make sure that parents teach their kids street smarts, teach them how to 
be outside and and respect other people's properties. Mm. Uh, The best way to do that and also to build community is to let them play. Is this about, or how much about of this is about safety and liability? And I mean, you can understand that. There's just some people out there that'll, you know, want to sue for any reason. Uh, is it about that, or is it about uh, uh, people who just don't want kids playing in the street? They're too noisy. They're making too much noise, and they use the excuse, "Well, you're not allowed to play," and the whole safety concern. When really, it's not a safety issue. It's about neighbors getting along with neighbors. Yeah, I think from the city's standpoint, they say it's a liability issue. But from from my view, I mean, this is this is how communities are formed. People outside meeting their neighbors, talking to their neighbors. It's how kids learn to interact with each other um, outside of school, outside of their regular activities. It's it's really important that kids are outside, being active, especially in in today's age where we have obesity problems in, with children. Um, I ran on a safe streets pledge when I ran for city council, so street safety is always top of mind for me. And and I wouldn't, if I was concerned about the safety of kids out on the street, I wouldn't be pursuing this. I think this is a great way to get kids active and uh, uh, take away the red tape from them being active. What's Ward 16 like for those uh, who may not know? I mean, uh, inner city residential area. It's. I mean, it's it's. North Toronto, very residential, um, bordered by uh, Young Street and Bathurst Avenue Road in the middle, and it's, you know, very residential. So kids are out playing in the street now, so I want them to be able to do that legally. Are many actually calling the city to complain about this? Uh, we don't get very many complaints. We've asked for some numbers, and there aren't that many complaints. Um, so if there aren't complaints, if, if kids are doing it now and, and it's working, let's, let's, again, take the red tape away. Why do we have bylaws on the books that we don't enforce? What about uh, people being hurt? Is there any incidents of that lately? No, I have, I have never heard of, of a child being injured or, or a teenager being injured from playing street hockey. Um, you know, it's... it's <clears throat> It's a, a sport. I'm sure kids may get injured, as they do in, in organized sports as well. But, um, you know, that's, that's part of growing up. Is this all about lawyers and citizens that want to be opportunistic? I don't think so. I, 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 want, it, I want this to be, let's, let's get rid of, of laws that we have that don't work, that don't um, um, help us be better citizens and... and keep our kids active. What is Kingston doing that, that everybody is, is using, uh, holding up as a model right now? What, what have they figured out? So they enacted a bylaw that um, allows street hockey and basketball <clears throat> excuse me, during daylight hours and, um, and on, they have to, you know, you have to make sure that there's parental oversight, that um, the traffic is able to flow, and so I'm looking at something similar. That it's on, a lo- it has to be on a local road, daylight hours, and that um, when a car comes, you yell "car," you get your stuff out of the way, and then you come back in and and keep playing. You know, I was reading some of the uh, the things that are in place at Kingston, and a lot of it just is common sense and respect mm-hmm. for your neighbors, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think I think a lot of Cities have lost that uh, today because people are very focused on staying in their home or their backyard. They don't get out to meet their neighbors, and uh, I, th- I think that's a 
an important part of community. Neighbor, neighborhoods and communities are a lot safer when people are outside and they know their neighbors and they know what's going on in their neighborhood. Are we encouraged to try to settle these away from City Hall and in our own neighborhood between neighbors? Is that um, happening enough? I, I, I think I think if we if we can get rid of the bylaw that prevents it, that it will it will help neighbors get along if there are any issues. Uh, the Kingston model, as you mentioned, uh, between 9 a.m. and 8 p.m., incl- uh, consuming, assuming uh, daylight conditions are clear, uh, local streets with a speed limit of 50k or less. The equipment and nets must be cleared from the street and sidewalk when the play ends by 8 o'clock, uh, avoiding property damage and keep respectable noise level. This I found interesting, too. Breaching the code of conduct can result in a ban from playing ball hockey for 90 days. Three breaches within 30 days on one street can result in a 90-day ban on ball hockey for the entire street. But from what I understand, Kingston's had no problem with this. They've never had to do that. Have you heard any feedback from them? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard of any issues coming out of Kingston. So, I mean, if they can do it, why can't we do it here in Toronto? Is there an appetite for this? What is the feedback? Um, from, from Toronto residents, I've been getting great feedback. Every, I've been receiving a lot of support for it and, and from city councillors as well. Um, I've, I've been receiving a lot of support for it, and, and people want to see it passed. Support is one thing, but is the reality that the city is opening itself up to liability by allowing this? I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, we're allowing the kids to play street hockey. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Uh, but it's going to cost us a fortune because people are going to sue us. I don't think so. I mean, a lot of it is common sense. Parents need to be involved and teaching their, in teaching their kids how to play uh, respectfully out on the street. And... Um, I, I don't foresee any issues with it. Where is this at with Toronto City Council now? What, what's the next steps? Uh, so we're sitting this week, and I'm hoping it will be looked at tomorrow. Um, so hopefully by tomorrow we will have it passed. How long has this uh, bylaw been in place? Do we know? It, se- it seems I've seen these, these uh, signs around the city yeah. forever. From my understanding, the original Toronto bylaw pre-amalgamation was 1978. And was there something that happened that instigated all of this? Uh, I have not been able to find anything saying why it originally came into place. So it's been around for a while, and I think it's time to to let it go. Do you think that once we get this solved that we'll move on to the toboggan issue, or do you think that's two totally separate things? Um, No, I mean, that's, that's... same type of issue, you know, it's, it's the city's concerned about liability, whereas parents want to get out with their kids and have fun. You know, you bring up an interesting point. This was brought uh, into play back in 1979. Do you think things have changed enough between now and then that uh, we're just in a different paradigm right now? I think so. I mean, it's, it's really about keeping kids active. I mean, I grew up outside on the street, playing in the street, and, and I think it's, it's an important way for kids to grow up, to learn street smarts, to learn life lessons out playing sports. All right. Well, good. Do you think this is going to pass? Do you think you're going to have luck with this one? I, I have been receiving a lot of support, so I'm hopeful that we can get it through. When will we know if it's a go or not? Uh, we should be voting on it tomorrow, if not tomorrow, by Friday. Uh, Kristen Carmichael Greb has been with us, Toronto Councillor for Ward 16, calling on a lift of the ban of playing uh, ball hockey on city streets and just basketball, other sports like that. Kristen, thanks very much for the time and insight. Good luck with this. Thanks very much. Thank you. It is uh, 1.50. Uh, <laughs> send me a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The odd thing is, uh, the councillor said this, and if you look at these signs, they look like something from the 1970s. 
this was brought in in 1979. A lot of things have changed since 1979. For example, in 1979, we didn't have devices and kids sitting in and, you know, playing Pokemon Go, although at least that is getting the mobile. Uh, I think we've got a different set of rules. We've got a different life now. And what what was valid in 1979, uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure the risks are still there, but we have a very different life than we did back in 1979 when these, at least in Toronto, when this law was put into place. Uh, but it seems every uh, year or so we have this debate. We had the debate about tobogganing uh, in Hamilton uh, last winter. And now, of course, here we are with the summer months having the same thing in regard to uh, playing on the streets. Uh, feel free to send me a note on this. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, one listener writes, I used to create custom-made bumper stickers. The very best seller from all of the bumper stickers I ever created was one which said legalize street hockey where the L was represented by the hockey stick. You know, again, we've been having this debate for an awfully long time. And uh, in, in a world, as I wrote on the blog today, uh, in a world where we are spending so much effort and so much time to get people onto bicycles... It seems very odd to me that we're doing so much to keep kids off the street. Uh, and again, I'm not sure it's really a safety issue as much as it is an issue about whiny neighbors who don't want, you know, kids running up their lawn, who don't want the ball on their lawn, who, you know, don't want them running through their garden uh, and all that sort of thing. And, you know, and I get that. But in order to bring in a law that, that stops this sort of thing, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that we encourage everybody to be physically active, and yet we're denying the kids the opportunity to play on the street. And, you know, you get inner cities like this in Toronto, like we have in Hamilton, uh, there may not necessarily be a lot of green space. And it's not like the residential streets, those with 50K and under, are necessarily that highly traveled. I mean, there's cars coming and going, but it's not like you're playing you know, on the middle of a, of a highway somewhere. And it, it just seems odd to me that we've spent so much time on bike lanes and, and, and getting people out of their cars and adults to change their behavior, yet we're just sitting there and letting the kids sit on the couch and banning them from doing any sort of independent play. And, you know, it's not so much of, well, my kid plays this four times a week or my kid does this three times a week or once a week or twice a week. They've got all these activities. That's not what, it, what it's about. And if you ask people who are experts in, in this line of work, you know, just because your kid is active for one hour out of 24 playing a sport, that's not good enough. It's not about the, quote, workout. It's about independent play. It's about just going out and walking around and doing something. It's about not being in one spot. It's, it's about not being sedentary. It's about, it's about movement. It doesn't have to be necessarily playing an organized sport or, or playing in an organized league or, or some sort of extracurricular activity. This is what kids do between all of that. This is what kids do when they wake up in the morning, when they go out after supper, when, you know, they've come home from school. This is just outdoor movement, outdoor play. Unrestricted play. It's simple movement. And if we take that away from our kids, they're sitting down with a device in their hand. 
And these signs that say ball and hockey playing strictly prohibited, you might as well just change the words and say, get off the street, kids, and back on the couch. And what, what flew back in 1979 doesn't fly in 2016. And I think it's pretty hypocritical of cities to boast about their bicycle infrastructure and how much they have to do. And believe me, I'm behind it. If I could bike to work, I would. But what about my kid? You drive up and down our street, there's like three basketball nets out there. Same thing with road hockey. There's like three or four families out there playing. So who's calling the cops? Is it somebody that's fearing for the kid's safety? Oh, that kid's going to get hurt. We're going to get sued. Someone's going to get hit by a car. I don't think those are the complaints. The complaints are, get off my lawn. Stop making so much noise. Stop bouncing that ball. You know, there was one person complaining that they lived in a cul-de-sac and the kids had set up basketball nets and all they hear is a bouncing ball every day. (laughs) What do you want? What do you expect? Go live in an adult-only apartment if you don't want to hear kids playing on your street. And I'm sure they were doing that even back in 1979. Feel free to weigh in and tell us what your thoughts are. The blog and commentary today, we want adults on bikes, but restrict our kids' play. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And again, to me, it's like it's an easy out for politicians who don't want to deal with the problem. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.